the Ostomy Nurse Project. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ostomy Nurse Project. It is your friendly neighbourhood stoma nurse Felicity, otherwise known as your host, and we've got a super fun episode for you today. Well, I think it's a super fun episode because I'm not talking about stomas, I'm talking about food. I love the food episodes because I get to talk about all things digestive, and in this episode in particular, I want to share with you some of my favourite recipes for people who live with a stoma, particularly in the initial post-operative phase after having stoma formation done. Now, the recipes I'm going to be sharing with you today are recipes that can be utilized and these meals can be made up at any stage in your stoma life whether that's from beginning to end or even after stoma reversal for those of you who go on to have your stoma reversed or re-hooked up these recipes are really good because they still follow the principle of low residue, very easy to digest but also packed with nutrients and make it easier for you to digest Now, one of the questions that I get asked very frequently when people are in hospital shortly after their stoma formation surgery is the question of what am I allowed to eat and what can't I eat? Now, hopefully, if you are in a hospital that has a dietitian or a nutritionist on board, they will give you some information about low residue diets and nutritious foods, including vegetables, fruits, proteins and cereals that you can incorporate into your diet when your stoma is new so that you can function normally and have a healthy digestive system without any blockages or without restricting yourself to the point where you're not getting enough nutrition to heal yourself. Because a lot of people don't realize that in order to recover well from your surgery, you need to be having an adequate nutritional intake. And unfortunately, one of the things about having stoma surgery is that it's it's abdominal surgery and operations on the bowel can leave us quite disinterested in food. We may not have a particular appetite for quite some time. We might have abdominal pain. We might have some nausea along the way as well. So whilst we as nurses are trying to get your stoma to function and for you to get better and heal, at the same time, it can often be a battle between whether the person really feels the need to eat and getting to the point where they have to force themselves to to have food. And that can be quite tricky for a lot of people. So with this episode today, I just want to share with you a couple of really good meals and recipes that I like to put together myself. I eat them myself and I really enjoy them. But they're really good meals for a couple of reasons for people with a stoma. Number one, is that a lot of the recipes that I'm talking about have got hidden nutrients in them. And what I mean by that is a lot of the recipes are going to have things like mashed up vegetables in them. And vegetables are a great source of nutrients, but a lot of people get really scared of eating vegetables because one of the first things that we tell you when you have a stoma formed and we put you on a low residue diet is that you have to be very careful of vegetables because a lot of that insoluble fiber is in the skins of vegetables. So we tell you avoid your stir fries avoid raw crunchy veggies because that's where all the fiber is in those skins and you can run the risk of developing an intestinal blockage if you eat large boluses or large chunks of those indigestible fibers so the good thing about these recipes is that the the hidden veggies in these have all been blended up or mashed so that you are still able to get the maximum amount of nutrients out of that meal but you'll still be able to digest it very easily and i like the meals because they're generally nutritious 
And they're not like your hospital meals where, you know, we put you on fluid diet to begin with and you, you get a, what they call a soup. And the soup might even be just some hot water with perhaps a stock cube crumbled up into it. It's not appetizing. And we understand that hospital food is not appealing to people anyway. But these meals that I'm going to talk to you about are meals that anybody can eat. It's not just a specific diet for this person with a stoma. It's a meal that can be pre-prepared, stored, and it can suffice to feed an entire family. One of the apprehensions that people also have um, when they come into us for stoma surgery is that people feel that they have to eat completely separate meals to the rest of their family. And that can be really difficult because it requires added preparation or, or separate purchasing of ingredients and things like that. But these meals are really great because you can make them for the entire family and they are tasty and enjoyable and very easy to make. All right, so I'm going to be covering three recipes in this episode. I could list off many, many more of them, but because of time constraints, you don't want to sit in your car tuning into the podcast and listen to me rattling off recipes. I will give you similar links to where I have located these recipes on the internet. So if you want to follow up with them, you can jump online and find them yourself and you can make adaptations to these recipes just like I'm going to talk to you about today. And then the other piece of news that I wanted to share with you is that this episode is also going to be duplicated closer to Christmas. We're currently in November and that's very close to Christmas. I hope you've got your Christmas shopping done. And the important part is I'm going to be doing a Christmas special of this recipe episode because, again, a lot of people get very overwhelmed at Christmas time. There's a lot of fruitcakes and there's a lot of nuts and dried fruits and alcohol and big roasted hams and people think that just because they have a stoma that they can't eat those foods anymore. So there is going to be a Christmas episode and I'm going to give you some great recipes to try if you are a person who has a stoma and you are concerned about what to eat or what to make at Christmas time, that's going to be a great episode too. But let's not jump to Christmas just yet. Let's start with this recipe episode in which I'm going to be talking to you about the first meal, which is going to be a hidden veggie sausage roll, which you can make ahead. You can make plenty of and you can even store them in your fridge or freezer and reheat them at a later date. I'm also going to be talking to you about a delicious mac and cheese recipe, which has got lots of hidden veggies in it also, but it's also packed with nutrition and very easy to eat and pre-prepare as well. And then finally, I'm going to be talking to you about a dessert. It's probably a little bit old school and a little bit British for anyone listening in the UK. This one's for you. But I'm going to be talking to you about the recipe for a bread and butter pudding. And it's not the traditional bread and butter pudding that you know of uh, if you've made one with the soaking, soggy old bread, which I used to hate as a kid. This is a slight tweak on that recipe, which is going to make it a little bit nicer and a little bit more palatable, especially if you're a person who lives with a stoma. So first up, we're going to talk about hidden veggie sausage rolls. There's umpteenth amounts of websites online that have hidden veggie sausage rolls. The website that I've pulled it from is from a site called uh, My Fussy Eater, and that's run by a lady called Kara Atwell. You can find it at myfussyeater.com, and you can look up all of her recipes, but just bear in mind that some of those are perhaps not stoma compatible. But the hidden veggie sausage rolls, I think, are a great recipe to follow. Not only do they provide a small snack for you to eat, 
Um, they're packed with nutrition because you've got lots of blended up veggies in them as well as the protein in the meat and a little bit of carbs from the pastry around the outside. So the reason I recommended this recipe is because one of the things that we educate you on when you have a new stoma is to eat small meals regularly. And so hidden veggie sausage rolls, which I'm going to talk to you about in a second, is a really good snack and it's also a really good meal. So if you happen to be feeling like you don't have a huge appetite, you don't want a full lunch or a full dinner, you can pull out some of these hidden veggie sausage rolls, reheat them, and they will suffice and give you a really good whack of nutrients. So you've got your protein from your meat, you've got your vitamins and minerals from your veggies in there, and you've even got a little bit of tasty pastry in there with a little bit of fats in it, which is going to really help bind it all together, give you a little bit of carbs, which is also going to help thickening up your output, not by much, but a little bit. That's the premise of of having these carbs is that it's going to uh, start to thicken up and, and create bulk to what's passing through your digestive system. So this recipe for hidden veggie sausage rolls takes about 15 minutes to prepare, a cooking time of roughly 25 minutes, and it's going to make about eight sausage rolls, Um, depending on how big you cut them. Of course, you can cut them and make them smaller and make double the quantity. So it's actually a very quick and easy prep, and it's a very quick cooking time, which is perfect for people who might be new to living life with a stoma. They might be uh, having people care for them and the, the person who's caring for them might be short on time. And so this recipe is great for those who are quite time poor. Okay, so for the ingredients, you're going to need one teaspoon of oil. I use olive oil, but you can use other types if you like. But extra virgin olive oil is very nutritious for you. You need one medium zucchini. We say it's zucchini here in Australia. You might refer to it as a courgette, wherever you're listening from. But you need one medium zucchini and you're going to grate that up into fine shreds because the idea is that it's all going to be cooked down and mixed in with your sausage meat. One large carrot also grated. Now it's up to you whether you want to peel the carrot first if you're worried about fiber in the skin but again don't forget this is all going to be shredded and cooked down and then baked so it's almost twice cooked if you will. So if you're not worried about the skins then don't bother peeling it. If you are worried about the skins or if you're very particular and concerned then certainly peel both the zucchini and the carrot before you shred them. That's absolutely fine. You'll need one clove of garlic, crushed or finely chopped. Please, I cannot stress this enough, just go easy on yourself. Get the little jar of crushed garlic that you can pull out with a teaspoon. If you feel so adventurous, absolutely get yourself a fresh garlic clove and chop away. But I find it much easier to just take a little spoonful out of the pre-mixed jars of crushed garlic. It's also fine and it's not going to taste much different. I doubt very much people would tell the difference if you used fresh or jarred garlic. Now the recipe on the My Fussy Eater website says 350 grams of sausage meat or 12 ounces of sausage meat. Now there's controversy over sausage meat because sausage meat always has to have a very high fat content and for people with a stoma a very high fat content can sometimes cause you to have a little bit more loose output. If you're not quite digesting those fats they can contribute to loose output. If that's a concern for you, you can switch to a different grade of minced meat. For me personally, in this recipe, I like to use beef uh, in my sausage meat. You can use pork, 
and you can use other meats also like perhaps a turkey mince or something like that but these types of mince are actually very dry in comparison to sausage meat which has got all of those fats in it which does help to bind the sausage roll and that's what also gives it its flavor so if you are concerned about the sausage meat and you're worried that it's going to be a little bit too fatty do feel free to use um, perhaps a beef mince or a turkey mince. Chicken and lamb can be a little bit different, but I prefer beef or turkey. However, normal sausage meat is also fine because don't forget, again, you're going to be mixing veggies through it and you're going to be baking it in the oven and then you aren't going to be eating huge portions of these sausage rolls. So it is okay to use regular sausage meat. Now, here's another little tip and trick for these sausage rolls. If you have a particular sausage that you are a fan of, or perhaps a sausage that does have added flavorings in it, so sometimes you can get the pork and apple sausages, sometimes you can get the Italian sausages, which have got quite a lot of herbs in them. If that is a sausage that you prefer, by all means, use that sausage meat in your sausage rolls. You can simply buy a tray of the sausages themselves that are in their casings, cut the edges down of those casings, slide out the meat from that, and you can mix that through with your cooked veggies. So you are more than welcome to do that if you have a particular favorite sausage. But if you're wanting to keep things nice and plain, just the plain sausage meat is fine. Now you're also going to need one sheet or or however many sheets of rolled puff pastry. So one sheet is approximately 230 grams. I find that one sheet of puff pastry makes plenty of mini sausage rolls. Don't forget you're going to be cutting long strips, rolling them, cutting another long strip, rolling them. So I find that I can actually get about eight long sausage rolls out of one 12 by 12 sheet of puff pastry Um, but again if you're going to cut them down to per se an inch and a half size sausage rolls the mini sausage rolls you'll get double even triple the quantity you also need one egg that you're going to beat and that's going to be used to glaze the pastry on top before you put them in the oven that's going to give them their nice golden dark brown coloring when you pull them out of the oven Now, the My Fussy Eater website does call for sprinkling poppy seeds or sesame seeds on those sausage rolls. We're not going to do that for the purposes of this because seeds, when your stoma is new, can contribute to blockages. So I've just left them out of this recipe. Okay, so you're going to preheat your oven to 180 degrees Celsius or 350 Fahrenheit, and you're going to line a baking tray with greaseproof paper. This is going to stop your sausage rolls from sticking to the bottom. And then in a separate frying pan on your cooktop, you're going to heat the oil and you're going to add in the grated zucchini, the grated carrot and the spoonful of garlic. You're going to cook that on a low heat until those veggies are soft. For me, it takes a couple of minutes, about five minutes. You don't want the veggies to go dark brown. You actually just want them nice and soft so that you can mix them through your sausage mince. So once those veggies are cooked, you're going to add them to a large bowl along with the sausage meat and you're going to mix it well. You can either use a spoon or your hands. Please make sure the vegetables have cooled enough if you are going to use your hands. And then you're going to sit that aside and wait for it to cool down a little bit. Whilst that's happening, you're going to take your sheet of puff pastry and you're going to cut it in half lengthways so that you have two rectangle shaped pieces. You're going to divide the sausage meat mixture into two and you're going to spread a long pipe of meat down each piece of pastry and you're going to leave a gap of about one centimeter on either side. That's so that you, when you roll it out and cut it, you're not going to have sausage splodging out the ends of your sausage rolls. 
Then you're going to roll the pastry over the meat. So you're actually just going to roll it up in like a big coil um, so that the two edges meet. You don't want to keep rolling too much that you're going to get six layers of puff pastry because it's never going to cook and you're going to have a big pastry stodgy mess. So just roll the pastry over to cover the sausage meat and then you're going to press it down with a fork to seal it. Now this is where you can cut your sausage rolls into any size you like. Like I said, I make eight from the two uh, squares. You can cut them into quarters and you will have double that. It all depends on your preference. If you prefer longer sausage rolls, then by all means do that. But you can cut them into thirds and make them even smaller. This is so that um, when you've cooked them, you can store them in the fridge or freezer and just bring out a few of them at a time if you want to eat them like that. Then you're going to take your, once you've cut your sausage rolls and put them on the tray, you're going to brush the surface of them with a little bit of that beaten egg. Then you're going to pop them in the oven for 25 to 30 minutes. And that time will depend on the size of the sausage rolls. So the smaller you cut them, the less time they'll probably take. But you want the top to be golden brown and cooked through. And with puff pastry, you'll start to notice that it swells up and gets nice and puffy and golden and delicious. If you're concerned though, you can certainly take them out test one of them. If you need to, you can pop it back in for a little bit longer. And that's pretty much it. That's your hidden veggie sausage rolls. Um, you can eat them as you wish then and there. You can store them for later. But the idea is they are very easy to prepare, very easy to cook. And that's going to give you a really healthy and nutritious snack to eat after your stoma surgery if you are time poor and you don't have much of an appetite. And again, if you don't like them, but your family loves sausage rolls, they can certainly help themselves to them as well. They are a family-friendly, stoma-friendly meal. So that's it. That's the hidden veggie sausage rolls from the My Fussy Eater website. Now, the next recipe I'm going to be talking about is the uh, macaroni cheese with a twist. So it's mac and cheese, but with hidden veggies in the sauce, which is going to make you think that you are eating mac and cheese, but it's got that extra kick of nutrients in the hidden veggies that go into the sauce. Now, the original website that I pulled this from is actually a website for those that use a thermomix, but the recipe is certainly adaptable for people who want to cook it without the use of a thermomix. The recipe is still largely the same. It just means that at the times that I've done it, I don't have a thermomix. I just use a stick blender to blend up my sauce. It's just as easy. So the recipe that I'm going to talk about to you guys today is the way I do it. So sans thermomix just with a stick blender and that's going to be much easier for you as well look if you've got a thermomix you can look up this recipe it is on the website called skinnymixers.com.au s-k-i-n-n-y-m-i-x-e-r-s.com.au and this is by run by a lady who does lots of different thermomix recipes but i really love this mac and cheese with a twist recipe because it is certainly adaptable for people who live with a stoma Pasta is one of the things that we encourage you to eat because having those starchy carbs is going to help with your output. And the cheese sauce that we put in it has a good hit of dairy, a good hit of flavor, and it's also got hidden veggies in it. So much like the hidden veggie sausage rolls, you're going to get those additional nutrients from the uh, cheese and from the veggies in the sauce, but you will barely taste them. I can tell you I've had this recipe a lot of times and it's delicious. So you eat, don't even have to have a stoma to enjoy this meal. I make it regularly for my daughter and we love it. Now again, this recipe is really easy to prep and it's really easy to cook. 
You can freeze portions of this and reheat it, and you can certainly make leftovers for having other meals later on. So it's very versatile. Your prep time is about 10 minutes. Your cooking time is about 30 minutes. So the total time to make this meal is around 40 minutes. So it's very easy for yourself if you're living with a stoma, or it's very easy for those around you to make for you and leave for you. Now, this recipe serves approximately eight people, so it's designed to serve a whole family dinner. So again, if it's just you eating it, you can portion that out and it will last you a very long time. The ingredients that you need is 100 grams of cheddar cheese cut up into two centimeter cubes. You're also going to need 60 grams of parmesan cheese also cut into two centimeter cubes. If you don't have a whole block of parmesan that you can cut into cubes, by all means, buy the standard packets of shredded parmesan. As long as you get your 60 grams, it's not going to matter because you're going to blend it all up anyway. The same with your cheddar cheese. If all you've got is shredded cheddar cheese or a full block of cheddar cheese, you can certainly grate it. It doesn't have to be cubed. You need 100 grams of sweet potato, which has been peeled. Yes, peel this one. And this one you do want to cut into small one centimeter cubes. That's going to cook the potato a lot quicker. You also need 100 grams of carrot, also peeled and cut into cubes. And lo and behold, 100 grams of pumpkin, also peeled and cubed into one centimeter cubes. Doesn't matter the type of pumpkin. Me personally, I like the Jap pumpkin, which is the one with the dark green streaky outside. But you can use butternut pumpkin. You can use gray pumpkin. Whatever pumpkin you happen to have your hot little hands on, it will taste the same, I promise you. And nobody will know what kind of pumpkin you've used because it's all going to be blended up in the sauce. And then you're also, again, going to need one zucchini, roughly chopped. Peel that zucchini if you don't want to see the little green specks. If you want it to maintain its nice orange theme, certainly peel your zucchini. But if you're not that fussed, just chop it with the skin on. You're going to need 300 grams of pasta. You can choose macaroni, you can choose spirals, whatever your favorite pasta is, as long as it's a good plain white pasta. When we recommend low residue diets to people, we tell you all the white processed things that people tell you that you shouldn't be eating. We're happy for you to eat it because it's going to be very simple and refined and easy to digest. So any white pasta, if you have an aversion to pasta or if you happen to be celiac or gluten-free, you can substitute that for a gluten-free pasta, but try and stick to the gluten-free pastas that are rice-based and avoid the pulse pastas. You don't have to avoid them, but I do uh, caution people with a stoma, as we know, with pulses and legumes, they can sometimes cause a little bit more gas than usual. So do bear in mind that if you choose to use a pulse pasta, which happens to be very available in a lot of grocery stores and supermarkets now, we do recommend the plain white pasta. But if you can't have plain glutinous pasta, certainly use a gluten-free rice-based pasta. Other ingredients includes 500 milliliters of milk. Full fat is fine. 50 grams of plain flour. Again, if you're gluten-free, use your alternative. 40 grams of butter and 200 grams of diced ham. Now you can dice your ham even smaller if you are concerned that you're not going to chew the ham enough or if you're worried that the ham is going to be a bit too chewy and you're not going to digest it well, simply dice it even finer. So chop it right down into very small pieces. Or if you are even too concerned about that, simply leave it out. You don't have to put ham in. This recipe is also very suitable for vegetarians. So any vegetarians out there who live with a stoma, 
simply don't put ham in. This recipe is delicious without meat as well. But we do say throw in some ham because that's a good whack of protein, which is going to help with healing. You're also going to need one teaspoon of Dijon mustard, half a teaspoon of mild paprika powder, one tablespoon of chicken stock concentrate, so that's like your little chicken stock cubes, and one pinch of freshly cracked black pepper. You can omit the pepper if you don't want that. Okay, now down to the cooking. The first and easiest thing to do is to cook your pasta. So make sure you get yourself a great big saucepan, plenty of water, and you're going to boil that up and cook your pasta so that it is al dente. That means you want it slightly bouncy and firm, if anything, slightly underdone because you're still going to cook that pasta through the sauce. But don't cook it to within an inch of its life so that it is just a big mess of soggy pasta that's falling apart in the pan. So just cook it for enough time to make it al dente. For me, that's usually about 10 minutes, but it also depends on the type of pasta that you're cooking. And once your pasta is cooked, you're going to drain it and set it aside for later on once you've done the sauce. Now you're also going to steam your veggies. If you're very clever and you've got the means to do so, you can actually steam your veggies on a steamer above your boiling water that you're going to put your pasta in. That is going to save you time, but if you can't be bothered doing that, which let's face it, not a lot of us can, you can simply steam your veggies separately. All you want to do is steam those veggies so that they're nice and soft. To check whether they're soft enough, you should be able to pass a fork or a knife through those veggies nice and easily without any resistance. Once you've steamed those veggies, that is when you're going to make your sauce. Starting off, you're going to take your steamed veggies, put them into a bowl and add your milk, only 100 milliliters of the milk, not the full amount. You're going to stick blend that up. If you've got another mixer, you can certainly use that, but you want to puree those vegetables with the milk. So for me, I put the stick blender in, I puree it for about 30 seconds, and that's usually enough to blend all of those veggies down into a bit of a mush, a veggie mush. You don't want any hard lumps of veggies. You want it to be a nice soft puree because that's going to mix in and create that nice glossy sauce that goes and gets mixed in with your pasta. Now, before you return your vegetable puree to a pan to continue cooking your sauce, you might want to fry up your ham cubes at this stage. Don't forget you don't have to fry ham. Ham is already cooked. But if you want a little bit of extra flavor, you can simply throw your little bits of ham through a pan before you um, make the rest of your sauce. So if you're adding that step into your regime, do that now and then return your vegetable puree into that pan. Once you've added that to your pan with your ham, you're going to add your cheeses so that they melt down, your mustard, your paprika, the stock concentrate and your pepper to that pan. You're going to cook that on a low heat until everything melts and comes together, stirring occasionally so that it's not getting stuck and burnt to the bottom. The idea is you want to cook that down so that it becomes a nice, smooth, glossy sauce and everything is incorporated. And that's pretty much it. You then pour that sauce over your pasta. You can eat it separately like that. Sometimes as an added step, you can mix it all through one another, put it in a casserole dish, sprinkle some extra cheese on top, and you can pop it in your oven for about 15 minutes. That'll give you a nice cheesy crust on the top. You are welcome to do that for a little bit of added flavor. But for the purposes of this episode, I'm I'm mixing that point only because sometimes people are a little bit sensitive to dairy and too much cheese 
can be a bit fatty and again it can wreak havoc a little bit with some people's output. So I just simply say mix it through your pasta and sauce and eat it as is. It's a great recipe, very easy to digest. You can add flavorings, spices, herbs to your liking as long as you're not adding anything grainy or sharp. It makes a large amount of food. It has at least eight large servings of pasta, so it will last you forever. It freezes and it defrosts really well. Once again, that is the um, hidden veggie mac and cheese with a twist from skinnymixes.com.au. But you'll find if you just Google hidden veggie macaroni cheese, there is heaps of recipes online that have adaptations of that. Some of those adaptations include the use of cauliflower in the sauce. We do caution the use of cauliflower in these cheese sauces if you're going to use it, only because cauliflower is a known vegetable to increase the amount of gas. And for people who live with a stoma, too much cauliflower can cause a bit more gas and it can cause ballooning if you are a person who wears a bag. So for the recipe that I've given you, I have used a recipe that doesn't use cauliflower. But if you are not sensitive to cauliflower or if you are just at home on a weekend and you don't care about your bag ballooning, then by all means, add some cauliflower to it. There is great nutrients in cauliflower. But I've just simply given you the recipe without it. So that's pretty much it. That is the hidden veggie mac and cheese from Skinny Mixes. Again, you can look online and find heaps of different recipes for it. But that's the one I've chosen to share with you today because it's tasty. I eat it regularly. It is great for kids. It is great for fussy eaters. All right, now moving on to our final recipe for the episode. This one is a recipe that I had to try out of a few different recipes because I am not necessarily a fan of bread and butter pudding because I may have had some questionable bread and butter puddings in my time that were a bit stodgy and weird in texture. But this recipe is really, really handy and the ingredients in it are very compatible, especially for people who live with a stoma. So I encourage you to give this recipe a try. It is great when it's just been cooked. It is great to also eat cold the next day. For those of you who enjoy eating cold meals the next day, this is a really good one. You can also portion it out, freeze it and reheat it. But I certainly recommend if you're going to make it, you better want to enjoy it within a couple of days because it's a fantastic dessert. It's got some hidden vitamins and some minerals from some of the fruit that we're going to add to it, which is also an optional extra. But I'm going to talk about fruits in this because quite often the traditional version of bread and butter pudding calls for raisins or sultanas to be mixed through it. That can be quite difficult for some people with a stoma to digest. So this recipe, we're actually going to be using fresh blueberries. But if blueberries aren't in season for you and you're considering making this recipe, there are certainly other seed-free berries or fruits that you can incorporate. And if you're not a berry fan, I encourage you to chop up some dark chocolate pieces and mix them through your bread and butter pudding instead. Just as delicious. I will never knock back putting chocolate in a pudding. Okay, so for this dessert recipe, you're going to need a 450 gram loaf of white sandwich bread, your plain old dollar, $2 loaf from your supermarket, and you want it to be a little bit stale. So if you're going to buy it, use a loaf that you've had for a, a couple of days where it's starting to get a little bit stiff. Please don't use bread that's gone so stiff that it's growing green stuff on it. You just want it to be a little bit firm because it's going to cook up better. If it's too fresh, it just bakes into a soggy mess. So you can use um, white sandwich loaf or toast loaf if you want it thicker. But the idea is you want it that little bit 
bit stale. If you can't wait for that and you have just bought a fresh loaf, you can actually um, pre-toast it if you need to. You can pop it in the oven um, on 350 degrees Fahrenheit just for about 10 minutes or so just to dry it out a little bit and make it a little bit stiffer. So one 450 gram loaf of white sandwich bread, three tablespoons of unsalted butter, which has been softened or melted, um, plus a little bit of extra butter, which you're going to smear around your, your dish so that it doesn't stick to the edges. You need one cup of fresh blueberries. As I mentioned, I use a full 125 gram punnet. You can use the 170 gram punnets if you like. The more, the merrier. It's going to give it delicious flavor and a little bit of fruit sugar just to keep it that little bit tangy. You need six tablespoons or 75 grams of granulated sugar. If you are a no sugar person, you can use an alternative, but I love sugar, so we're going to put it into this recipe. You need the zest of half a lemon, two teaspoons of vanilla extract. If you're fancy, you can use vanilla essence, but vanilla extract is absolutely fine. Six large eggs, three cups of whole milk or 710 milliliters of whole milk, quarter of a teaspoon of fine sea salt and powdered sugar to sprinkle on top. If you don't want powdered sugar, you can certainly put some maple syrup to finish it off. But if you're happy with the fruit as is, then simply skip the step of sprinkling stuff on top anyway. Okay, so first up, you're going to grab a uh, butter brush. If you've got your butter melted, you can brush your bread slices with melted butter. If it's not quite melted, you can use a knife and you can spread butter on your bread slices. But you basically want to bring the butter out to the edges of each one. If you are not a crust fan, certainly cut the crusts off your bread. But you're going to put butter on each side of those bread slices. You're also going to lightly butter the uh, dish that you're going to place them in. So you can use about a 9 by 13 inch um, roasting dish. For me, I just use a regular rectangular casserole dish that I make all my casseroles in and that suffices just fine. You're going to put your bread slices out into the pan. You can stack them up. I like to line mine up in a bit of a triangle shape, but you can lay them in there however you like. You're going to scatter your blueberries over the top and you want to be sure to make sure some of those blueberries do get stuck in between some of those bread layers and even down the bottom. So you can either give your dish a bit of a shake or you can just tuck some berries in between the slices so that they can get right in there and warm up and you get that nice little burst of blue, rich purple juice that comes out and mixes in with the bread. It's delicious. You're also going to place your sugar and the lemon zest in the bottom of a small dish and you're going to rub those together. You're basically wanting to create a lemon scented sugar and that's going to break up the zest a little bit and mix it in together and give it added flavor. If you are not a citrus fan, you can omit the lemon zest, but I promise you that lemon and blueberry has an amazing relationship. So I do recommend it. And you're going to sprinkle half of that lemon sugar over the bread and the blueberries, save the other half. Once you've done that, you're going to whisk your eggs into a large bowl and then you're going to whisk the milk into those eggs. Stir in your vanilla and your salt and you're going to pour that custard, that uncooked custard, slowly and evenly over the bread. You don't want to just slap it on and mush everything together. You just want to tip it in so that everything is covered. So the berries, the sugar, you want to make sure that that custard covers everything. Then you're going to sprinkle that with the remaining leftover sugar lemon mix over the top. And you're going to let that sit. So don't cook it straight away. You're going to let it sit for about 15 minutes at room temperature 
Or if you don't have the time to do that, you can pop a little bit of cling film over the top, pop it in your fridge, and you can let it soak overnight. That is no problem if you want to do that. When you are ready to bake your bread and butter pudding, you're going to heat your oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 190 degrees Celsius. You're going to pop your pudding in the oven and you're going to bake it until such point as you can pop a knife into the center of that dish and turning it slightly causes no liquid custard to spill into that crack. So what I mean by that is if you pop something into the middle and go to spread that pudding, you should get a nice gooey bready pudding. You shouldn't be getting any liquid seeping out into that area. When that happens and you're happy that your pudding is cooked, which for me takes between 30 and 40 minutes. This depends on everybody's oven, of course. Um, And it also varies by how thick you've laid your bread. Sometimes it can take as much as 45 to even 50 minutes. But once you're happy that it's cooked, you want to take it out of the oven and you want to let it cool slightly before you cut it into portions. You can dust your pudding with powdered sugar or you can serve it with maple syrup um, if you wish. I find that it's often sweet enough. I don't need any additional sugar on the top. Um, But if you do want that and you're a bit of a sweet tooth, hey, who am I to argue? So that is my recipe for bread and butter pudding. That is from a website called smittenkitchen.com. S-M-I-T-T-E-N-K-I-T-C-H-E-N, or one word, dot com, and look up the blueberry bread and butter pudding. It is a great dessert, it is a great snack, and it is a great breakfast for those of you who are fans of French toast, because it has a very distinct French toasty type flavor as well. So there you go, guys. There's my three recipes for you that I love to talk about and I love to make myself for my family. They are recipes that are really good for people who live with a stoma, as I mentioned. They're very easy to digest. There's no nasties or sharp things in them that has the potential to cause you a blockage. And you can portion all of these meals out to suit you and your appetite, whether you want a big portion or just a small portion to keep you going Um, until your normal appetite returns. These are meals that you can substitute into your everyday diet. Don't eat them every day, day after day. You're going to get so bored of them. But these are just three of the recipes that I like to talk about, which might make life with a stoma that little bit easier for you, particularly if you are new to the stoma world. There are many more recipes that you can look up online yourself if you've got a particular desire for a type of food or if you've got um, personal favorites. By all means, jump online and have a look for them, but make sure you find recipes that avoid foods that are going to increase your gas or foods that may potentially cause odor or foods that may potentially cause a blockage. These are the three things that we generally talk about when you live with a stoma to try and make your life that little bit more easy than having to deal with the consequences of that when you live with a stoma or a bag. Now that's pretty much it for this week's episode. As I mentioned, there will be another recipe episode closer to Christmas. I'm very excited about that one because I am one of those pathetic people who loves Christmas. But until then, I hope you've enjoyed the content that you're listening to on the oz to be Nurse Project. Please continue to leave your feedback in a comment and rate each site. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Podbean, Spotify, 
most of the place or wherever you're listening to this podcast really feel free to leave a comment we've had some great feedback so far on upcoming episodes that i promise you are in the works and they are coming Um, and hopefully if you keep bringing in more comments on things that you want to hear about i can tailor these episodes to talk about stuff that you're going to find interesting so join us next time on the ostomy nurse project for another great episode we are coming to you from down under right where your stoma is ta-ta for now see you next time